Greetings, and welcome to another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series. Podcast episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Blueberry, SoundCloud, PodBay, Overcast, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and at www.vhha.com. You can also hear episodes of the podcast each Saturday at 11 a.m. on WJFN 100.5 FM in the Richmond area. Please listen and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also send questions, comments, or feedback to pcfpodcasts at vhha.com. That's pcfpodcasts at vhha.com. Today, we're pleased to be joined by Rosemary Tribble, the founder of Fear to Freedom, a nonprofit group that works to empower sexual assault survivors, for a conversation about the organization's community work. Welcome, Rosemary. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. I'm delighted to be with you all. As we noted, Fear to Freedom is a Virginia-based nonprofit that works to empower sexual assault survivors. Two of the ways the organization does that is through hosting educational classes for students and communities, including on college campuses, and by assembling kits with clothing, toiletries, and other items that are given to survivors after a sexual assault medical exam is administered at a hospital. With that overview, Rosemary, can you provide listeners with some specifics about the types of programming sponsored by Fear to Freedom and the success you've had with that outreach? Certainly, I'd be pleased to. And that personally, I've been committed to walking alongside those wounded by abuse and to being a voice for the voiceless. And I founded Fear to Freedom after writing a book called Fear T.O. Freedom when in 2011. And as I traveled the country and talked to hundreds and hundreds of women uh, and men, young men especially, that were wounded, it just broke my heart. And then I realized when I would take young women from Christopher Newport University, my husband is present up there, And they would always call me when there was an assault case. And as I would go over to the hospital, initially with the forensic nurse, realizing that all of their clothes had to be kept for evidence. And the students didn't know that. And so they were walking outside in paper scrubs or a hospital gown. And this just should not be, especially after being victimized. So working with the forensic nurses and initially Riverside Hospital and then hospitals across our state, that we're in 10 states now, we developed this Fear to Freedom kit, and our mission is to restore dignity and hope to those sexually assaulted and empower students and communities to combat sexual violence. And so, if they're listening, our hope is that we can empower you, too, to be champions and to be the change that is our theme. All right, so Rosemary, you and your family have long been active and engaged in civic and community life through academia and other pursuits. So your role as the founder of Fear to Freedom is consistent with that long commitment to public service. But I gather that the formation of this organization is inspired by a personal experience for you. Can you please elaborate on the events that ultimately led to the origins of Fear to Freedom in 2011? Yes, my passion for this issue came out of my own pain. As at 25 years old, I was brutally raped at gunpoint. I hosted a television talk show on WTVR in Richmond, and it focused on sexual assault with two women who shared their stories, whose faces were shadowed to keep their confidentiality, who had been raped. And then a Commonwealth attorney, a policeman, afterwards there were hundreds of calls from so many that had been assaulted and never been able to speak out of their silence. And so my heart was very troubled, but four days later, I stayed over at the hotel right across from WTBR, and the next day, I wanted to host one live show and take three shows so I could go home for Christmas. My parents were coming. I felt confident about this, you know, had my little Underwood typewriter back then, 2011, and I came up from getting coffee around 11 o'clock, 
And I'll never forget this man grabbing me from behind around the neck and choking me and then putting a gun to my temple and saying, okay, cute talk show host, what do you do with a gun in your head? Well, I had never thought about that. And it was a night of complete horror. He was going to teach me a lesson of a lifetime as a rapist that had seen that show and me caring for victims. And at the end, he drug me over to the window, which only on that floor went right out to the parking deck where he had a car and a man waiting. He was much the professional. And again, with that gun in my head, he said, I know who you are. I know where you live. And I promise I'll kill you if you tell. And that's a dagger of fear that... If it's a date rape, well, your dress was short or you were drinking too or a grandfather saying, well, if you don't let me do this to you, I'll do it to your little sister. Whatever it is, that dagger of fear they put in, not to tell. But the moment he was out the window, I called the police and security and this man was never found. So I called Paul and he got there about two hours later, but I had to go to the hospital alone and to the police station, and I will never forget him holding me the rest of the night. But the next morning, I was terrified. If I did not do that show, this man would know that I had told, and my life would be in danger. And I guess I tried to continue the show for another three months, and finally, I just said, I've lost Rosemary. I can't have that drive an hour every day where we lived in Tappahannock and not have that taunting, I know where you are, I know where you live. So I gave up the show and, you know, came home to heal. And it was through that time that I really understood from a very personal level what happens when you have been sexually assaulted. Thank you so much for sharing that very personal story with us. As you mentioned earlier, you have written a book about your experience as a survivor. And last year, we're honored by the Virginia General Assembly for your years of quiet, dedicated work to help sexual assault survivors. Oh, I appreciate that. (laughs) And December 21st, 1975, when my rape occurred, it changed my life forever. But what was meant for evil has been used for good in my life. And I say he not only tore my body, but he stole my joy. And I've gotten that joy back. And I wouldn't be the person I am today if I had not gone through that trauma. And I wouldn't understand so much about these students. And as we formed Here to Freedom, we wanted to do something that would give hands-on opportunity programs to help combat sexual violence. And so we began our three programs. The first one is An Hour to Empower. That is the one that we do with our university students. And we're in some 33 universities. We're in 10 states. And in these last few years, we have given out over 26 thousands of our Fear to Freedom kits. And over 23,000 students have been educated and taught about protection and taught about caring for those that have been sexually assaulted. And so our Hour in Power, the students love this program because they are tangible, hands-on, and can make such a difference in their lives. The students come, like at Christopher Newport, we have 400 students or more, men and women that come. And they hear a story of someone that's been assaulted, and they hear from a forensic nurse so that they understand what that program is and how important the PERC exam is. And I want to interject here. I have fallen in love with the forensic nurses 
in these hospitals and the way the hospitals have treated us coming into their programs. Uh, we have uh, a couple of forensic nurses that they would never do a perk exam again without a fear to freedom kit. So these students go around then and they assemble the fear to freedom kit with sweatpants and t-shirt and underwear and toiletries. If it's a child, it is a toy that is in there. And the two most important things, we're trying to do everything they would need, you know, a hairbrush, toothpaste, toothbrush that they would need if they're going home or if they're going to a shelter, if they're going to a university. And having those sweatpants and T-shirt and underwear all sized from, you know, a child, a little baby, all the way up to X makes such a difference when they walk out with some kind of pride and we tell them they're not alone you're not to blame you are strong each of those students after they collect all those items and they put them inside this backpack they sit down and they write a personal note and this note is so powerful because they have to think about that even that night someone could be opening their Note that has domestic violence, child abuse, human trafficking, sexual assault, and their reading that note may make such a difference in that person's life to build their confidence and to encourage them and to let them know they're not alone. But it also has the effect of, I don't know how a young man could write that note without saying, if I go a little further, this is what's going to happen. So it's prevention and training and education, but tangibly, then the hospital ambulance comes and those students put those kits into the ambulance. And one other item that is so important that kind of sticks out of the bag is our little freedom bear. And he began it all for us, for me. And I'll never forget how precious this was we created this. It's a little teddy bear. The forensic nurse would give this to the victim early on, to the survivor, right when she arrived for him. And we'll let them know that this is there. And they can hold that throughout the entire exam. But also they say, look, there's 10 little pieces of paper on his backpack. And open that up and take one out and write down the name of someone that's hurt you or something that's hurt you or a figure if you're a child and put it to the heart of the bear. And when you feel a little stronger, take it out and put it in water. And it's dissolving paper. So at first the words disappear, then the whole paper disappears as a assurance to them that they are not alone. So that's our Hour to Empower program. And we have two other programs. That is, uh, that sounds very, very powerful. I can't imagine what receiving that, just that bear alone does for survivors uh, in sense of empowerment and helping head start that healing process. Right. And we've been in like 90 hospitals and community groups and military bases. So we go wherever the need is. And speaking of where the need is, you, you mentioned that you do this at schools and colleges and statistics indicate that survivors are, are all around us, that one in every five women and one in 71 men will be raped at some point in their lives, according to the National Sexual Violence Resource yeah. Center. Among college populations, incidences of sexual assault can be proportionally magnified in those insular communities. As someone who is connected to a campus community, I wonder what your observations are about how attitudes regarding assault reporting have changed over the years, particularly in light of heightened public awareness around the issue and the reality that most colleges still remain unreported. Yes, unfortunately, the greatest battle we have is against silence. Silence is the greatest enemy of healing from sexual assault. And yet it is so hard to come forth at experiences in their lives. 
They say one in five women and one in 16 young men will be assaulted sometime in their university or college experience. And to me, that is just totally unacceptable. And yet those are, you know, just ones that are reporting. We've worked with so many universities encouraging their reporting programs because how the process is done can be had several different names, but they often work with the Title IX coordinator and students group as well, but it not be a fearful process, but it be one that they feel like they are fairly treated and that the other person is given some measure of justice as well. And we have a strong program in a lot of these universities now. But when I started this, nobody was talking about sexual violence. There was no Me Too program. There was no even media that was focusing on this issue. And so we have come a long way and getting resources, getting, you know, new opportunities. But there is so much left to do. And we want to expand uh, across not only our state, but other states, as I said, we're in 10 right now. But we also want to help these students know how to respond if somebody comes up to them and say, you know, I was sexually assaulted by a parent or a grandfather as a child or last week on the campus. It's hard for them to know how to respond. And we give them these four advices for that. And that is to just listen to them. So often, a caring person of the opposite sex that will just listen to them compassionately is the most important thing for someone that has been sexually assaulted. Secondly, don't try to fix it. At that point, they don't need advice. They just need for you to be there. And then third, tell them that you will walk alongside them as they feel like you can help. And lastly, say you will tell no one that you will keep their confidentiality. And that is the thing that is so cruel about silence because if someone has been assaulted, tell someone and the first thing that happens is they pass that on. There's nothing that breaks them up, you know, more than that. You know, non-consensual sex is rape. And we've got to create an environment where each of you that are listening will lead the way in ending sexual violence and where the wounded ones can feel like they can come forward out of the silence. Of course, both men and women experience sexual violence and whether it's sexual assault, IPD, which is inner partner violence, sex trafficking or stalking or harassment, this must end. Yes, and for anyone listening who wants to get involved with Fear to Freedom, visit them online at fear, F-E-A-R, the number two, freedom.org. Again, that's fear, the number two, freedom.org. And before we go, Rosemary, I'd like to ask you two more questions just to kind of give yeah. people a sense of who you are beyond your community work. And the first question is, what is the best piece of advice you've been given and why is it so important in your life? The best piece of advice I've been given was actually by Mother Teresa, and it happened before I wrote this book. I had a chance to go to Calcutta and be with her and work there for a week in the house of a dying in the orphanage. But being there in India, seeing the Calcutta devastation all around, we had their service that morning, which we participated in, and then she was in a wheelchair at that point, and literally she passed away six months after I was there. But I knelt at her wheelchair, and I'll never forget her holding my hand, and they were just leathered with all the years of caring and loving. But for that moment, her eyes just twinkled. It was like looking into the eyes of absolute unconditional love. And it in the eyes of Jesus for me. And then I asked her, how do you do this day in and day out? 
And her answer was, we're called not to be successful. We're called to be faithful. And I said, well, what can I do? Thinking, you know, come back another time, some fun, what would she say? And put her hand up. She said, Rosemary, go home and do what is right in front of you. Go home and love the person right in front of you. And I thought, yes, I can do this. And I worked in the orphanage and the house was dying. It was so incredibly important. But that advice was the best advice. And as I came up back, I realized what's in front of me is my ability and desire with all of my heart to be a voice for that voice, to be able to care for those wounded by sexual violence. And so that led me in to writing the book and then finally forming Fear to Freedom. Her example to me was so incredibly strong. But those words, I thought, just showed her humility and how she believed in each person making a difference one-on-one. And that's what I committed my life to do. Well, that is a very inspiring piece of advice you got from a very inspiring figure, for sure. And to close the podcast, I'm going to ask you a question that we ask all of our guests on VHJ's Patients Come First podcast. It's one inspired by a very popular BBC program. And the question is this. If you were stranded on a deserted island, what one book, one album, and one movie would you take with you to keep yourself occupied? We'll spot you a copy of your religious text of choice. So other than that, what one book, movie, and album would you take as part of your personal survival kit? I would definitely take the Bible. Okay. And I would take... You know, you're going to laugh at this. Love actually. (laughs) No, it's a good one. It's a good one. All right. I think that would keep me sane. Sure. Um, And the last thing is album. Um, (laughs) This is a tough one. It's it's between Buccelli and, you know, one of my faith-based singers. But I might go with the classical this time. Okay. And uh, I think that uh, uh, would be a good a good choice. We had Buccelli that actually came to Christopher Newport and performed. Your heart would still be mine, mine. And ever since then, uh, that has moved me, that classical music. So we'll go with that. And thank you. All right. Yeah. And that brings us to the conclusion of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so you know when new episodes are available. And thanks to our guest, Fear to Freedom founder, Rosemary Tribble, for joining us today. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed being part of this podcast.